Father, we want to thank you for Jesus this morning. We give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise. Thank you for the word this morning, that it may be a word in season, and it may speak to the hearts, that Lord, everyone who listens will hear what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church, and will be equipped and ready for what it is that you are doing amongst us. And we will not be disturbed or soon discouraged or in any way attacked by the enemy because we understand the hand of God and what it is that He is doing. And we give you all the glory, honor, and praise as the word goes out this morning that will fall upon good soil. And we cover it under the blood in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This morning I want to talk to you about sanctification for destiny. Sanctification for destiny. There's a man walking down the side of a river and it was a hot day he decided to take a swim. So he jumped into the river and he was swimming away when he got into trouble and he began to drown. And he was shouting out for help for someone to come and save him. There was another man walking down the uh, side of the river and he heard the shouts and he realized that this man was drowning and he needed to save him. So he jumped in and he saved the man and he brought him out of the river. That was the whole man. He saved him body, soul and spirit. So when you are saving someone, you are saving them body, soul and spirit. But in that was a secular sense, it wasn't a salvation thing. So I want you to cast your minds upon a man dying in a hospital and you are called there to pray. What would be your first reaction? To save his soul or to save him through healing? You see, that is the question. Because there is a man, he's not saved. His body is deteriorating, he's dying. And your decision must be to save him in one way or another. What would you do? So you've got to save the soul to save the whole man. So there's a big difference between the guy who was drowning, right? You saved his body, you got him out of the thing, but you may not have saved his soul, right? He'll be eternally grateful to you for saving his life, but that doesn't mean he got eternal life. But the one in the hospital dying, he's only got seconds or a minute to go, to go, and you've got a minute to save him. What part of his body or of his being would you say? His soul, his spirit, or his body? And that's what you've got to understand. You see, a lot, a lot of us don't understand that we're made up of a triune personality that is body, soul, and spirit. And within the soul, there are three elements, which is the emotions, the will, and the intellect. Right. So, here we are in this uh, scenario of where God is working on us and trying to save us all. That's what He's going to do when he comes into our lives is that not only give us salvation which is eternal life but he then begins to work on us so that we can be saved whole body soul and spirit amen so let's have a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 to ratify this this is our proof text this morning 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 We're going to look at verses 23 and 24. 
And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that followed you, who also will do it. So here we have a very clear expression of salvation being a part of the body, soul, and spirit that, that the whole body, the whole soul, the whole spirit be saved by God. Amen. And then in verse 23, this is the mystery verse. Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. So, we are talking about sanctification for destiny. And we're talking about a final goal of the human being. A place of destiny, whether it be on the earth or whether it be in heaven. So, you've got to understand that when you put yourself to God, you are going to give yourself wholly to God. Amen? When the sacrifice was made uh, on the altar to God, that the animal was wholly sacrificed. With all the, you know, putrids and everything in it, it was wholly sacrificed unto God. It was roasted like that. That's what God told Moses to do. Right? So, what does, what does that mean? It means that God is taking you all, with all your sin, and with everything that is you, and taking it to the cross, and nailing it to the cross for your sanctification. Hallelujah. So this is the, the filth that we are associated with, that we, we think we are somewhat righteous and somewhat filthy. No. We are wholly filthy. Right? Above all the heart is evil and wicked. That's what Jesus said. Right? So if we are wholly filthy, we are wholly condemned, then God is taking us holy and then He's sanctifying this unclean vessel and making it clean holy. Right? So in the initial stages what He's doing is He's coming to sanctify us. He's to, that means the word sanctification is for the purpose of being set apart. Okay, that, that makes it a holy vessel. But if the, 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 the process is not complete, sanctification and making you holy doesn't finish the process of salvation. Okay, because there is a way to go. You're chosen for salvation, you're chosen for sanctification, you are placed in the house of God as a vessel that can be used by God, but that doesn't mean you will remain sanctified. Okay, because the choice is still with you. You are chosen, but the choice is still with you. So God, in His wisdom, has given us four elements of sanctification. He's given us the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of sanctification. He's given us the Word, the Word of sanctification, that washes us clean and makes us whole. And the blood of Jesus that forgives us, that's a sanctification, that's a setting apart. Okay, so the moment the blood is applied, you are set apart. And then faith, faith is a sanctification. Okay, it's an element of sanctification. So, what happens to the others who are not chosen? The ones who are not chosen have to come by the preaching of the gospel. Hallelujah. Right, so, does that mean the ones who are chosen are saved that they will stay saved? No, it means that they have to walk in their salvation, they have to walk in their choosing, while the others are called, 
to come into the place of sanctification by God and they have to accept the gospel of salvation, right? For it is the power of God unto salvation and then be set apart by that process. Amen? And they too have to walk and work to the end to see their salvation come through. So let's have a look at that uh, and justify that in the word in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verses 9 to 12. 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 to 12. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness, in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion, that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now here is a scenario where God is putting delusion upon somebody because they will not receive the truth. Okay. Now we are going into a situation where delusion is operating and we are giving gospel. Okay. So delusion is working amongst these people but we are going in with the light to dispel that delusion. So it's like the guy who, uh, I can't remember his name, but when there was uh, fornication going on in the camp, he took a spear and he went into the place where the, the man and the woman were committing fornication and he speared them together. Right? He killed them and stopped the plague. It stopped the plague. So you can, you can remove delusion, you can remove confusion, you can remove the wrath of God on some vessel by speaking the gospel into that situation. Right? So that brings them into the knowledge of Jesus and that gets them out of their despair and their situation. See, he said, because they don't want to receive it. Okay? That's why he has done that to them. And he said, Satan has come to deceive them with lying signs and wonders. So they're getting carried away, okay, by these lying signs and wonders. And he says, no, 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 you go and preach the gospel. And God will save them. Look at Romans chapter 10. You know, when you come to India, they are following all sorts of gods, right? You're preaching to God, people who are deluded, right? They don't have any idea. They're born in that. They have no other idea of any other religion. They only know that religion and they follow them. And they are so, you know, strong about it that you've got to actually break that delusion by the gospel. So let's have a look at Romans 10, verses 13 to 15. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and glad, bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. So here you are, you know, making the effort to preach the gospel in a, in a, in a, in a scenario where unbelievers are, or followers of other religions, and then you are trying to bring to them the truth so that they can get saved. So you've got the chosen by God and you've got the ones who are called. Mm -hmm. Amen? So God calls everybody but doesn't choose everybody. Mm -hmm. 
Right? So the sanctification is different for each category of people. And you've got to understand why God chooses and why God calls. So the gospel separates this and shows us the truth about salvation and how it works. So here we see that when God gave His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus, He became the Savior of our souls. Hallelujah. And when the Holy Spirit was given, He became the sanctification for our body, soul and spirit. Here's the difference. He got a person called the Son of God come down from heaven. He's called the Word of God. He goes to the cross and dies and He saves your soul. When you believe in Him. Amen? But then you have another person coming called the Holy Spirit who comes and He sanctifies you. He sets you apart. Right? And you become the chosen. Whether you were chosen before the foundations of the earth or you were chosen after the foundations of the earth, you're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So you too are set apart and put in the body of Christ. Now the Gentiles were not part of Israel. Israel was chosen. But God wanted to show Israel that the Gentiles were also called. They were not chosen, but they were called. They didn't like it. Because they, they, they were an elite amongst the nations of the world, and they still are. And they got carried away with their eliteness. They got carried away with their uh, preeminence. And having the oracles at the temple of God and those sacrifices that they offered. Not realizing that God was also going to call the Gentiles. And would sanctify them, that means make them holy and join them together in the same olive tree. Well, hang on a second, what do you mean to say? You're going to bring in all the unclean people and you're going to join them in the church and make them one with us? Yes, you were unclean once. That's what I'm going to do and I am doing. So he told Peter, don't call what I call clean unclean. You go preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Shock horror, how can I go and do that? What will I say to the Jews? How will I answer my people? God said, I don't care about that. Go and preach the gospel to the Gentiles. So we're not just called to preach to the church. We're called to preach to the world. Okay, but we're not only called to preach to the world, we have to preach to the church because there's a sanctification that is taking place in the body of Christ that is going to cover the body, the soul and the spirit. So a person who comes into the church saved, okay, it doesn't mean that they are wholly complete and sorted out. That's where the cleaning of the fish takes place. That's where the fivefold ministry comes in. That's why the people who get saved don't like it because you are putting your finger in certain parts of them that they don't like you to touch. And that's when the problem starts. But the Bible says that He wants to save us only to present us blameless. Not only blameless as in spirit, but blameless in our body and blameless in our soul. So now we've got a dilemma because if we don't let the Lord do it, then we've got a problem. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
verses 13 and 14. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for your brethren, the Lord of the Lord, because God had from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification by the Spirit. From the beginning, chosen so that you can be set apart to believe the truth. <laughs> That's why I said to you, not everybody believes the truth. Even the ones who come to church. Right? Because the truth can be quite harsh. Because the truth can be quite penetrating. Because the truth is a sword and it cuts both ways. Right? And we don't like it. We don't like what is being told and we don't like what we are beginning to understand is the truth. We like salvation because it got us out of the pit. But we don't like the rest of it because it's dealing with us in the inner man. Right? The Holy Spirit is the agent of continuing sanctification and justification by the working of the blood and the word in our lives through faith. So you've got four elements of sanctification, I said. So if you don't apply the blood, you don't apply the word, and you don't apply the Holy Spirit, right? Through faith, you got nothing. You got absolutely nothing. Because the elements of sanctification are these four. Right, so if you employ anything else like good works, or like attending church, or like paying your tithes, or like making a cake for your neighbor, it doesn't work. What works is what God ordered should work for us. Because there is a rule, there is a, a way in heaven that we have not discovered. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man can come to the Father except he come through me. So why put a stipulation to come to God? Because we don't know what the way is. We don't know what life is. We don't know the truth. And the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us, setting us apart, putting you in a corner, and then saying, listen, now sit down there and I'm going to teach you about how to approach the Father. I've seen far too many people, you know, walking to the throne and saying, Here I God, I like, you know. No idea who they are dealing with. No idea. And God winks at it sometimes, and sometimes He doesn't. Okay, so you've got to be very careful why you are being sanctified and why you are sanctified. Why the vessel that is chosen is placed in the house of God. You see, the vessel when it's placed in the house of God cannot assume that it will be there forever. Because it's holy, because it can see the angels, because it can see the glory, because it can see the power, it cannot assume that it will be there forever. When, we, when the Old Testament tent of uh, worship was made, you know, Aaron's sons, two sons were chosen to do many, many tasks inside the temple. And they had uh, responsibility for offering and so many other things that were intimate. They were more intimate than all the other priests 
with God and in the function that they had toward God. But after many years, they got intimate with their own selves, thinking that they were somewhat, and they offered strange fire. And when they offered strange fire, they were immediately destroyed. There was nothing left of them. We have to be very, very wise that, that we don't get carried away with sanctification and think that, okay, once we are set apart, that that's all there is to it. No. There's a process of development, spiritual development, that God wants us to have, not only in the area of our spirit, but in the area of our soul and in the area of our body. The body is the temple of the living God. It cannot be presented to God in an erroneous manner. It has to be presented as a holy. And it has to be presented holy. Right? When you don't give yourself to your wife only, you don't give yourself only to her. You're giving yourself to somebody else. When you watch pornography, you're not giving yourself wholly to your wife. You're giving yourself to pornography. Or to something else. So you've got one, one foot in the world, smoking, drinking, whatever else you do in the world. You know, cheating, lying, I don't care what it is, but it's all sin. And you do it, and you've got one in the world, in the church, and you're saying, I'm wholly sanctified. No, you're not. For the moment, God's grace is working for you. But don't take His grace as, as something that you can fool around with. Right? Because He wants you whole. He said, I'm, I'm preparing you blameless. You've got to come into my presence whole. And He talks in 1 Thessalonians about, uh, in 5.23, He says, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord Jesus. So the coming of the Lord Jesus is not yet. We all want it to be quick, but it's not yet. So we have a journey to take. Right? Now, the journey to take requires certain protections. Right? Otherwise, you're not going to make it. So God prepared the four elements of sanctification for our protection. He also prepared other things for our protection and for our preservation. So he says in the Bible that our preservation is through mercy and truth. He's speaking to the king and he said, listen, I'm preserving you. You're not preserving yourself. Through mercy and truth. So the more you employ truth, the more you employ mercy. Right? The more you're going to come into preservation. The more the devil cannot attack you. The greater is the boundary of your protection. So when you are walking in mercy, when you are walking in truth, God is working with you and in you. The word, who is Jesus, is tied to your soul and its preservation. So the word of God preserves you by you eating it. Right? It works as a preservative and a preserving agent in your soul. So your mind, your intellect, your will all becomes preserved by the word of God. 
and you don't get easily affected by the attacks of the enemy. So like anxiety that arises, someone is dying in the hospital, devil's playing in your mind, and he's saying to you, this person is going to die, you're going to lose this person, and your mind is being affected, your soul is being affected, but the word of God, right, which is what you're depending on, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for you on the cross, right, took all the sins, gave you all the power of the, over the power of the enemy, now you are applying that. That's the word. That's the Jesus. Okay? And now the Holy Spirit comes in who is tied to your spirit. Right? He's not tied to your soul. He's tied to your spirit. And is the one who links the word and spirit life to our whole soul, body and spirit. So everything that the Holy Spirit does is to make you more sanctified more set apart in your body, in your soul, and in your spirit. All three can be affected by the devil. All three can be in some way, you know, uh, uh, how do you say, manipulated by your circumstances. Okay, if it's not one, it's the other. So in the, the question of bringing it all together is, is the job of Jesus. Right? Now he does it mysteriously and he's working behind the scenes. This is an amazing concept. That's why I said you verse 23 is a mystery. It's an amazing concept how he's working behind the scenes yeah. to ensure that this wholeness is taking place. So you will find that when you began as a Christian, you know, you were all over the place. But as time went by, you started settling down and you started rooting and grounding yourself in Christ Jesus. Why? Because God was working in the scene. You weren't always getting teaching, you weren't always reading your Bible, you weren't always praying, you weren't always doing what God asked you to do, but somehow the Spirit of God was working in you to bring you into place each time. Amen. Amen. He was gently guiding you into those places and saying, now make your choice. Amen. And then you began to realize and started making the right choices. And as years went by, the more right choices you made, the greater was the effect on your body, soul, and spirit. Right? And your body became stronger, your soul became stronger, your spirit became stronger, and you overcame. So, God gave His, or God gives His Son for the whole world. Amen? Would you say that's the truth? Yeah. God gives His Son for the whole world. So this is the offering. What an offering. Mm. He gave the whole son. Yes. He didn't keep part of the son. He said, I'll give you only the leg or the hand. He said, no, I'll give you. And Jesus could not just shed one liter of blood. He had to let it all go. Okay? He didn't go to the Red Cross and say, here, take the liter, save the world. No. He had to go to the cross according to the will of the Father, in the way He designed it, by the hand of betrayal, by the hand of suffering, by the hand of torture, by the hand of those people that He created Himself. It was specific to the very nth degree. Amen? So don't take your salvation lightly, because it wasn't just for your soul, it was for your body and it was for your spirit. God gives His Son 
for the whole world. But God gives His Holy Spirit to those who are saved. Hello, are you listening to me this morning? You don't just get the Holy Spirit. Simon the Sorcerer said, give me this power so that I can give it to others. He said, no, man. You've got bitterness in your soul. There's no way you're going to get anything to do with the Spirit of God. You've got a call of bitterness. So, you know, when you pray for the baptism of the Holy Spirit for people, make sure that it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that's taking place. Because there's a duplicate spirit that jumps in on people. Okay? You have to be discerning. You have to know. You have to understand what it is that you are offering people. Because what God gives is only for those who are saved. There are certain blessings that people get in the world that is for everybody. Like the sun, the wind, you know, the fish in the sea, the land, the earth, everything is for everybody. But the Holy Spirit is only for those who are saved. And they are not all willing to take it. I should say Him, not it. They're not all willing to take Him. Because they said, Jesus is enough. I don't need the Holy Spirit. Why I have received Jesus and I've received His Spirit, so I don't need the Holy Spirit. They don't understand. They don't understand what God is offering them. <clears throat> so they're trying to make out something of their own self. They're not getting sanctified. The way God wants them to be sanctified. They think they're holy. They think they're in a right place. They think they're in a position of power. They think they're close to the throne. They're not. They're very far away. They're very, very, very far away. Because they have not employed what God has given them as an element of sanctification. So they employ the word. Right? And the word can only do so much. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because thou hast anointed me. So he couldn't do anything perfectly till the Holy Spirit came. Mm. <coughs> yeah. He could teach. He could tell people things that they needed to know which was deep and profound. And they were shocked at his level of knowledge. But it says that he learned obedience through suffering. Jesus learned obedience through suffering. Come on now. Why would, he, why would God want him to learn obedience through suffering? Because he was now in the flesh. And he needed to understand what flesh goes through in order to walk close with God. Many of us are thinking we're walking close with God. We're not at all walking close with God. Because if the examination came, the public examination came from heaven. You sit down to write your paper, you'll find that you can't answer most of the questions. And instead of getting a pass mark, you get a fail mark. Go back and study the word. Make yourself approved. Know what is the word, what it is saying before you apply it and before you speak it. And the only one who can help you with that is the Holy Spirit. You know, when I was doing my exams, I used to be hopeless in maths. So my uncle used to come and take two weeks off, spend two weeks with me and, and teach me mathematics because he was good at it. 
but I would always ask him for Japanese cakes before I would study. <laughs> See? So I made it difficult for him. So here's the helper. The Holy Spirit has come to touch you and help you with your mathematics. But you're making it difficult for him because you're going to say to him things like, if you don't bless me, I won't follow you. If you don't do what I ask you to do, I'm not interested in reading the words. So you don't pass the exam. You fail. That's why when you pray and ask God for something, you don't get it. Because you're not willing to listen to the tutor, the anointing that teaches us everything that there is to know about the word. And you say, oh, I've been a Christian for 30 years, 40 years. They used to blast me here when I first came to Australia. They used to say to me, who do you think you are telling us about all these things? You know, we've been Christians for 40 years. We know more about all this than what are you telling They were getting convicted. I said, excuse me, you know, I want to tell you something. I said, what I'm teaching you is just basic stuff which we teach in India in Sunday school. And you've been telling me that you're a Christian for 40 years or 50 years. And you don't know these things? Jesus asked the uh, rabbi, he said, you are a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? My friends, let us not assume that we know. Okay, it's a big dangerous ground that we live on. So, God gives. God gave His Son. God gives His Holy Spirit. God gives. God gave. God continues to give. That's the fantastic nature of God. He's a giver. Right? But not everyone can be saved because they refuse the truth. Let's go back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 8 to 12. And he's talking about this wicked one who's going to come. And he's going to be doing miracle signs and wonders which are wicked. And people will follow him, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, and with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them a strong delusion, that they shall believe a lie. So God told Isaiah, when he got taken up into the throne room, and he came into the presence of the Father, and he, and he realized he was an unclean man. God sanctified by the coal of the altar, put on his lips, he became sanctified, and became a holy vessel. So what he was going to speak was holy. And then the Lord said to him, go and speak to the people, but they will not listen to you. Are you listening? Or are you just going around in very good? If there is no Christian progress in your life, you're not listening. That's a simple test. If there is no Christian progress in your life, you're not listening. That means to say that if you're not overcoming your problems, or if you're being easily shaken, by circumstances and lies, you have not arrived. You have not grown. The Lord is weeping. I'm telling you, 
he is weeping. He said to me two weeks ago, he said, they are killing themselves off. In the church and outside the church, in the world. He said, they are not listening. They are killing themselves off. Wendy gave a prophecy of a man of God in 2017. The fires were coming to Australia. He came and preached, nobody listened. Why? Because we are, we are, we are familiar with fires. But not 140 fires at the same time. We are not familiar with that. But has anyone repented? <coughs> they are not listening. My friends, be careful that you read this word over and over and over again and you don't listen to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And the best way to check your heart and to find out is that whether you have progressed in your character, whether you have progressed in the way you talk, whether you have progressed in the way you do things, whether your whole body, soul and spirit is given to the Lord blameless. Can you stand before the Lord blameless? <coughs> we know we can't. We know we can't. So we need the sanctification of the four elements to make us stand in the presence of the Lord. The challenge of our faith is in the three areas of the body, soul and spirit. I want to explain this to you. This is a very important point. I see many Christians who have strong faith in the body. They've got healing, they talk about it, you know, all that sort of stuff. But then when you investigate them, you find that their spirit is broken. Or you find that their soul is broken. Some part of their soul is fragmented. Because it's made up of body, of will, intellect and emotion. It's fragmented. They're doing healing, but their will is pulling them away to do their own thing. They have faith for healing, they have faith for confession, they have faith for prayer, they have faith for a lot of things, but they don't have faith to see their own soul saved. <clears throat> so they develop a faith that is lopsided. It's not the whole thing. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in and that's where the Lord comes in. And He says, now listen, I've got to talk to you about something in your life, <clears throat> which is not right. And you say, oh, what are you talking about? You know, I do all these things. And you take off all the things that you do and it says that. We're not talking about that at all. We're talking about something in your inner man that you have dealt with. You say, what can that be? What about the past? When someone offended you? What about when today someone offends you? Can you stand there and take the offense? Because they're offending you. It, it's attacking your soul. It's asking you to come into a discipline of forgiveness and understanding about the state of the other person even though they are the antagonist. When you are standing on the platform of Jesus, you know, Jesus does not get intimidated. Jesus does not say, I'll slap you if you slap me. 
Jesus does not say, I'll take revenge on you because you went and sinned. You've got to come to that place. I've got to come to that place. It takes the whole body, soul and spirit to adhere to the word of God. You cannot just adhere to the word of God in your soul only. Your spirit has to align itself. And it's the Holy Spirit that separates between soul, between soul and spirit. And de de determines what is in your heart. Paul uh, writes to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10. I want to show you the working of the Holy Spirit. Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. <laughs> now, what they're going to think is that this guy, Apostle Paul, wants to come and fix them up. Hello, are you listening to me? Right? The way he's writing that is he's going to come and fix us up. Who does he think he is? That's what they said to him. Who do you think you are? You know, you, you, you're a useless father. He, he's talking about the spirit. He's talking about having achieved something in the spirit of faith that they didn't have and saw. And he said, listen, I'm coming with the spirit of the Lord and I want to write upon your hearts the epistles of the spirit, not of the flesh. And these guys are not who do you think you are? So when I come to your house or I come to you and I say, listen, there's something wrong in your faith or something wrong in your understanding or something wrong that you are doing. So who do you think you are? So I get rebuffed. The Holy Spirit gets rebuffed. We both get rebuffed. We both go away. And then you are praying in your room and saying, Holy Spirit, oh, I love you. Come here. He said, hang on a second, you just rebuffed me. You were not humble enough to receive what the man of God that I sent to you to say, you did not receive it. God sent five people to many and said, start a church and he rebuked it. He rebuffed it. Because of his circumstances in life. Then he said to the Holy Spirit, if it's really you, there should be 23,372 people on the day I start the church in the building. And he started the church and there were 23,372 people. <laughs> Obedience brings sanctification and the blessings of God. Hallelujah. Once sanctified, you're not always sanctified because there's a flesh that is pulling you out of the temple. He's saying, don't be so spiritual. Try and be a little fleshly. Mm. Here you are, trying hard to come closer to God. You're sacrificing things. You're doing things that will make you more acceptable in the sight of God. And then the people come along and they say, hey, why are you trying to be so spiritual, right? You don't need to. You'll get into heaven. 
Yeah, but not holy. Because there are certain parts of you that have not yet been developed. You're not presentable with blameless. Not yet. Maybe that's why some of our lives are being thrown out upon the earth. We're not yet ready. God's not yet ready to take us. Maybe the church is not yet ready for rapture. That's why it hasn't happened. He said, if the days were possible, it would deceive the elect. So I was shocked at the days. See, he knows what the church can do and cannot do. He knows how hard-hearted and stiff-necked we are as a people. He knows that. We talk nightly to the dust and yeah, you know, we're so, we're so great, we're so powerful, we speak in tongues, we do miracle signs and wonders. They say, no, you're a hard heart. Because you don't listen to me. You only mouth your words, say this, that and the other. <clears throat> so once we are in the process of sanctification and justification, in the sight of an evil world, the question of our faith, you know, it is a question mark for the world. So God has given us another agent. In Romans 5, 1-5, the Lord talks about the Holy Spirit being shed abroad in our hearts through the love of God. Which gives us hope that does not allow us to be ashamed. That is Christ being manifest in us through the Holy Spirit. The love of God is the Lord Jesus Christ. For, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So we know that the love of God is Jesus. Okay? The person of Jesus Himself. But the person of Jesus Himself has to be manifest in us and the only way He can be manifest in us is by the, the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Ghost. It has to be through the Holy Ghost. It cannot be any other way. You cannot take on Christ and say, I am Christ-like. No, it has to be ratified by the Holy Spirit that you are Christ-like in heaven. And then it is written down in the books. That's what sanctification does, is that when you are completely and totally given to the river of God, you don't know where you're going, you don't know what's happening. You just trust Him. You see, Christ died for us whilst we were his sinners. He took us out of the pit of hell and sanctified us by God, separated us into his kingdom of light, power, and good works, and above all holiness. Now we can stand before him in glory by the blood of sanctification and the new garments he has given us. Let's look at Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 5. Zechariah 3, 1. <clears throat> and he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that had chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, 
take away the filthy garments from him. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with the change of raiment. And I said, Let them set a fair mitre upon his head. So they set a fair mitre upon his head, and clothed him with garments, and the angel of the Lord stood by. Here's the, here's the agent of God, the high priest, with filthy garments. That's a bit of a worry. What, what was the filthy garments? Was it his sin? You know, what was it? That, that's the big question. Even if it was sin, or just his corrupt nature before God, because we're all corrupt before God, unless he sanctifies us, unless he gives us garments of salvation and robes of righteousness, we cannot be sanctified. Okay? So we're already corrupt. And the word corrupt means dead. Dead means, you know, smelly, decayed bones, rotting flesh. Right? But God says, no, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give you a mantle. I'm going to give you a fair mitre. That means a crown. I'm going to give you a crown of glory. Paul said for me, he's laid up a crown of glory in heaven. He, he knew what his price on the high calling was. The crown of glory waiting for him in heaven. Right? He was pursuing that. It was like a carrot on a stick before the donkey. You never quite achieve it. But you keep pursuing it because it's there in front of you. That's how you get the donkey to go in the right direction. And God is telling us, I have set it up for you. Follow me. Look at the king. Look at the glory. Look at the master. So Zachar already carried a mantle. I mean Joshua already carried a mantle. He was the high priest. He carried a mantle. But now God gave him a new mantle. And covered that filthiness and the corruptness of his nature. And said now you are sanctified. Elijah, when it came time, he threw his old mantle off and he got up into that chariot of fire and he went up into heaven and he got a new mantle. Something completely different so that when he appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, there was so much glory, there was so much light they couldn't look at. Friends, God has prepared holiness. For us. Let's have a look at it. About going from glory to glory. Revelation chapter 4. Four to eleven. Revelation four. Four to eleven. And round about the throne were four and twenty other sweet seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thundering and voices. And there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven stools of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like out of crystal. And in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion. And, and, and they, they would go on to verse 8. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about them. And they were full of eyes within. And they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And then all these guys throw their crown to the ground 
and they worship the living God. Now let, let's look at Revelation 7, 9-10. After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kingdoms, and people and tongues stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. So here we are, before the throne of glory, in oil and sanctified, set apart, holy, acceptable unto the Lord, as a, a living sacrifice that has been perfected by the Son of God, and by the Spirit of God, and by the blood of Jesus, and by our faith, and brought us into the presence of the Father for eternity. Don't miss it. Don't miss your destiny. Because some evil woman or some evil person has come in your life and has, or man has come in your life and pulled you aside and said, Look, I've got a better offer. I've got a better offer. Your mind will always tell you, You're better off on your own. God's not answering your prayers. You're better off on your own. He saw didn't get two, two hoots about his uh, mantle and uh, his birthright and he sold it for a morsel of meat and lost it completely. Don't lose your destiny. I want to be there. I want to be there. I was listening to the testimony of this guy who saw angels on the, on the podium worshipping with the other people who were worshipping. And he said, what was that about? The interviewer asked him and he said, Angels love to worship God. They just get carried away when they worship God. It's just an amazing thing to worship God. Amen? So when you're in the presence of the Lord, all you want to do is worship the Lord. Some people say, oh, that's so boring. They have no idea. They have no idea. God help them. So the sanctification of the whole person begins with the salvation of the bit that is left in that person when they first get saved. Imagine, like, you know, when you got saved, and what was left of you? I know, there wasn't much left of me. I was a drug addict and an alcoholic going mad, and I was ready to die. There wasn't much left of me. Absolutely nothing left of me. Maybe an iota of hope, maybe an iota of, of, of some sense, I don't know. I lived in stupidity. Just think about when you got saved. Why did you get saved? How did you get saved? When did you get saved? And what kind of situation were you in when you got saved? That you wanted to accept the living God as the only way out for you. Something happened. And that's when the sanctification process starts. But it doesn't end with that. Because along the journey of life, there are many mistakes that are made. Many mistakes. And many cliff edges are reached before once again, sanctification kicks in. I know that. I know that in my own life. Come to the very end of my tether. The Lord says, no. I'm saving you. Let's go to Amos.
Amos chapter 3 and verse 12. Thus said the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out the mouth of the out of the mouth of the lion, two legs, or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria, in the corner of a bed, and in Damascus in a couch. <laughs> Amazing imaginary. Uh, you know, what he said. Some examples. Imagine a lamb that's taken by the lion or the wolf. And the guy has devoured most of it. And now there's only a leg or a ear left. Or two legs. And it's in the mouth. It's a wild beast. Nobody can take this wild beast off. And that was the state of our being when Jesus came and saved us. We were done like dinner. We were done. And God said, hey, hang on a second, hey. That's my question. But what's he getting? Only a the leg or a piece of ear because the rest of it is being devoured. So he says, never mind, let that go. That's the past. I am going to create you a new person. All he needs is a little bit. That's all he needs. Just give a little bit of yourself. See what happens. Come on. Don't hold back. It's already been eaten by the devil. What are you holding up for? Just give him what's remaining. Just give him what's remaining. He will never quench a smoking flax. And he will never break a bruised beak. You know how many people come to the Lord when they're broken? 99.99%. Not when they're fit and healthy and full of their arrogance and pride. And, you know, they got their thing and they've got their money and they've got their sex and they've got their drugs. They don't come to the Lord. It's when they are depleted. And he's the God of restoration. He's the God of restoration. He will restore everything. He will make all things new. That's what he said. And he was telling his mother as he was going to the Calvary with his cross on that, in that movie, The Passion of the Christ. That was one of the best scenes ever. And he turned around with a whimsical smile to his mother when he fell with the cross. And she came to catch him and he, and he looked at her and he said, Behold, Mama, I'm making all things new. But you know, in order for him to make all things new, he had to give himself all. He had to give himself only unto the Lord. He couldn't just give a leg or a year. He had to give himself only unto the Lord. And that's what God's looking for from you. What are you holding back? Why are you holding back? Do you think you can save yourself? Maybe you do. The mystery is 
verse 24 and the Lord will do it himself and then it will be marvelous in our hearts Amen you know this church is going through a whole lot of stuff half of it we don't even understand but God is doing something you got to give yourself wholly under the Lord somebody came to witness to us yesterday and I said they were telling us about Christ and all this other stuff I said you know who we are I said no no you know I'm talking about unity in the area pastors fraternal and this and that I said listen they're not given holy unto the Lord. Are you? I said, where do you worship? Oh, I go to the so-and-so church. And I also go to two other churches. I said, you're not holy given unto the Lord. Why? Because you're all over the place. How can it grow? I said, do all your ministry out of this place. Give yourself wholly under the vision of the Lord in this place. We will enhance it, we will make it grow. And we've already taken so many people around the world and they're going and they're doing things and they're doing wonderful things because God has chosen this vessel. He has sanctified this vessel called Calvary Assembly. Give yourself wholly. Surrender. The kitchen needs your help. But if you don't surrender, the kitchen's not going to survive. Simple things, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, is not still being taught. It's still being taught. We're supposed to be mature Christians. So we think of ourselves anyway. God help us. God help us. Amen. People out there need us. They're dying. I don't know what your need is this morning. But if you have a need, come. We're going to pray for you. We're going to give a sacrifice to the Lord.